Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and millions of millions of people have used DNA testing services to find out their ancestry, to find long lost family members, to figure out if they're going to have health complications in the future. And once you send that DNA to these companies, they give you the results just like they promised. But then what? What happens to your DNA? What happens to that data? And another good question is, how accurate are their services? Well, here to talk to us about all that is Dr. David Copsell, who is starting a marketplace for your DNA data on the blockchain. And I'm excited to get into that conversation. Before we get into that conversation, though, please go to wherever you listen to this podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. Please leave a rating and a comment. It helps us stay visible. Also, think about becoming a patron. Patrons, thank you for being patrons. And if you would like to support this show, we would really appreciate it. Sometimes we have ads, sometimes we don't. And when we don't, it's the patrons that help keep supporting the show. So we thank you. And don't forget, this is not financial advice, trading advice, personal advice, or legal advice. Now, without further ado, here is Dr. David Copsell, the 23andMe Dilemma. We'll see you after the show. Dr. David Copsell, welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Doctor, the reason why we're talking to you today is not only do you have an amazing resume of all kinds of publications, educations, and teaching, which leads us up to your work in the blockchain. And your work in the blockchain is making sure that people have a way to sell their DNA data on the marketplace safe and secure. And what does that mean for the listeners? 23andMe and these other DNA testing sites are actually selling your DNA data or your DNA. And well, this is something new to me. I never thought about it, but you're here to explain it all to us. And I appreciate that, sir. My pleasure. I'm excited to tell everybody about it. Excellent. Before we go into DNA and the blockchain and how these businesses are structured, tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. In the last 20 years, I've been a couple of things. I've been a lawyer and a uh, philosophy professor. I've also worked as a bioethicist while I was a philosopher, and I've been an author. So in the you know the most recent part of my CV, I've been focusing on issues dealing with technology and ethics, and that's how I got interested in genomics, actually. Well, the longer story is I met my wife, Dr. Gonzalez, who is a genomic scientist, and then started getting interested in genomics. What is genomics? Genomics is the study of how your genes interact with your health and other attributes of yourself. So you might have heard of DNA, which is deoxyribonucleic acid, and that is the building block of life. It's really the code that helps to make us who we are. It directs every element of your functioning as a living being and as a developing being. So that code tells the body how to make, first of all, your organs and your metabolism and every bit about you. The genes are the parts of the DNA that, well, the standard idea is that they code for proteins. What they mean is they tell the cells to make various proteins. And it's that interaction between the code and you know the mechanics and the chemistry of building these proteins that make everything about you, who you are and, and how you function. So genomics is a study of that, and it's really a science very much in its infancy. We don't have a lot of information yet. We're still gathering a lot of information to try to understand that. Now, this might be a stupid question, but I just heard that DNA and genes are different. So when these companies like 23andMe are testing something, what are they testing, your genes or your DNA? Well, it's even more 
complicated than that, I'm afraid, because they're not even really testing your genes. They're looking for what are called single nucleotide polymorphisms. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's another yeah. I got another some in my mouth. mouth. <laughs> these <laughs> these are just little changes in the code. So let's go back to the code analogy. Okay, when we mapped the human genome, when that was completed around the year 2000. What we learned is basically the overall structure of the human genome, which is 3 billion base pairs. And these base pairs are combinations of the four nucleotides that make up DNA, adenine, guanine, thymine, and cytosine. And these are the chemicals that tell your cells to make various proteins when they're put together in certain orders. Now, that's not what we're testing for when we do most direct-to-consumer tests. All we're looking at is tiny little changes in code because between you and me and everyone else on the planet, uh, the changes, uh, the differences in our genetic code are minuscule. We're 99.3 or 4 or 5% similar, depending on where we were geographically. So most of that, you know, it would be a, a sort of wasteful exercise to test the whole 3 billion base pairs if we can isolate it down to the tiny little changes that make us each unique. And that's what these direct-to-consumer testing companies are looking at is those tiny little changes. So usually they use what's called a microarray. The most popular one is that built by Illumina, which is an enormous billion-dollar company. They make this really popular microarray that tests for 600,000 single nucleotide polymorphisms. And then we look at these little tiny changes, and we have developed some statistical models for how those tiny little changes among us make us who we are, make us more susceptible diseases, make us capable or incapable of digesting certain things, etc., so are those the differences that we're looking for when we were talking about testing for the differences in people? I mean, you said everybody's yep. mostly the same. I mean, I guess we're not testing to see if they have, you know, three ears or four hands or something. But it's basically just, you know, allergies or, you know, tolerances to different foods or what do you test? Well, yeah. So that's where we're still in the dark. So we're still gathering a lot of data. There's only a few million people around the world that have had their genome sequenced. And, you know, it's actually companies like these direct-to-consumer test companies that have gathered so much data that we're starting to get better models that help us to understand what these little differences mean. And the usefulness of that data is growing every day. Every time we do a new test and we get more data and we know something about the person we got the sample from, the better our understanding of the genome becomes. So, yeah, right now, if you do a 23andMe or other tests like Ancestry, you'll find that, you know, they give you some statistical probabilities of various allergies and whatnot, and maybe certain diseases, possibilities for, you know, heart disease, or actually one of the bigger ones is the susceptibility to breast and ovarian cancers. But again, these are only statistical correlations that we've been able to develop through the accumulation of data often given by people going to direct-to-consumer testing companies. We got connected through a Crypto 101 contributor, Dr. Tina Penman, and she's a mutual friend. And she used one of these direct-to-consumer gene testing services and found a relative. How would that yep. even work? If, if we said that it's still only a, a couple million people have their genes, I think you said sequenced, their genome sequenced, right. how, how would you find a relative if we're just looking for you know minor changes in the code? Well, it's actually kind of fascinating because 
we're all very closely related if you think about it. You know, everybody is somebody's something like 12th cousin, frankly. <laughs> so the way these companies find your DNA relatives is they find little correlations, these minor changes, and again, develop a statistical probability that somebody is related to you based upon the nature of heredity, of how these changes are passed on from one generation to the next. So like I did the 23andMe test and, and I have hundreds of DNA relatives and, uh, you know, I don't know any of them and probably will never meet them and they live all over the world. But it's actually really fascinating to realize just how interconnected we are as a species. So not to take anything away from Tina's discovery, but how sure can she be if the relative that she found, I think she found her, her first cousin. How? Okay, that's pretty close. How, how, how sure yeah. can she be that it's her first cousin? Yeah, it's, again, the statistical probability, and it depends on the particular test. I'd say that if it's something as reputable as 23andMe, you know, there's a probably a 80% chance that that's accurate. Wow, that's impressive. You mentioned a company called Illumina. What do they do? What do they own, if you don't mind? Illumina makes mostly the hardware involved in doing these tests, and it's really been a tremendous breakthrough in how we're able to get genomic data because, you know, if you know anything about the Human Genome Project, that map I said we completed in around 2000, that was an international project to try to decipher the genetic code of humans. And it was um, tens of billions of dollars that were spent by governments around the world to try to do this map. And the testing we do now is, you know, if you do 23andMe, it's under 100 bucks now. So... How do we get to that point? Well, Illumina is, is responsible for coming up with a new way of doing these tests, these microarrays that are a phenomenal new technology that literally has the technological breakthrough that's revolutionized the way we gather the data. So we can do rapid genotyping in you know a matter of weeks of a person, or if you're in the lab, you can do it in a matter of uh, days, maybe hours by now. And these next generation sequencing companies are going to be even improving on that technology, and Illumina is one of them. As far as I know, they're going to have a new sequencing platform coming out soon that's going to really change the way we get the data. It's make it a lot faster and cheaper. And that's really the name of the game because up until now, it's still been a matter of a costly and time-consuming computer and, and other resources. And the faster we get at it, the better we get more data, the better we'll understand how the human genome works. We already see the benefits of collecting the data. You can find relatives, you can see your lineage, your heritage, your ancestry from doing these tests. What are some of the cons of collecting this data? How can it be misused? Okay, so this is how I got into this field as a business person and not just as an ethicist. When I was writing about genes originally back in 2006, genes were patentable. So there was a company, for instance, called Myriad, Really? Which they're, actually... They're, I'm sorry, they were patentable. Can you, they can you, were, yeah. Can you explain that and how, how that would work? Are we talking about Monsanto genes for like grain or are we talking about human genes? Human genes were patented. Disease genes could be patented as long as uh, somebody could find and isolate them. So back in 2006, I started writing about this. I wrote a book called Who Owns You? And I addressed this problem and I thought it was a ridiculous problem, not just ridiculous, but philosophically and legally unsound. So there was a company called Myriad for instance, which owned a disease gene that was associated with breast and ovarian cancers. Well, that meant that there was only one company that could do the test for the presence of that gene, 
And they were charging monopolistic prices. They were charging $3,000 per test. And most people could not afford that. And health insurance companies didn't always pick that up. So that went to the Supreme Court shortly after my book came out. And the Supreme Court found, as I had argued, that that was not only ridiculous, but also unsound and unlawful. And, and it doesn't happen anymore. But the problem is nobody gets to own their own genes now because of the very same reasoning. So you don't actually own your genes. Nobody owns information. Nobody owns naturally occurring information. So the question is, who's going to profit from the collection of this data? Now, the cons relate to things we're more familiar with recently, like the use of your you know, quiz results on a Facebook quiz for political profiling and ad placement, et cetera. So that genomic data be put to similar uses. It, that's certainly one of our concerns is that you know people will be able to access that data. Uh, you don't have any legal claim to it, and therefore they can use it as they want to profile you in, in ways you don't want to be profiled, um, or even reselling that data as is done currently by companies like 23andMe. What's the name of your book? It was called Who Owns You? And uh, there's two versions. I had to come out with another version of it after the Supreme Court came out with its decision in Marriott in 2013. And basically, I just summed up what had happened since I wrote the book. I got very lucky that the first edition came out just months before the lawsuit against Myriad started. So I kind of rode the wave on that one. Right. Uh-huh. Well, congratulations on the book. Using genetic data for profiling. It seems like the biggest thing that everybody wants data for is how to run ads and how to market people. Is that the only con? I mean, I guess when people think about gene testing and things like that, we think of, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Bebop and Rocksteady or <laughs> genetic testing or people that are born with AIDS immunity, for example, or HIV immunity, as what we heard that came out of China the other day. Are the only cons that we're looking at is only ads or is there deeper repercussions? No, there's much deeper repercussions, and some are being addressed by the law. So, for instance, if you're susceptible to certain cancers, your employer might use that against you in allowing you to do various jobs, for instance. Now, that should be your choice, many people think, and not up to your employer. Another way the data could be used is by insurance companies who might refuse to cover you for various conditions for which you have, again, a genetic propensity to be susceptible. So there is a law in the United States that prevents the use of that data for those purposes. It's called the GINA Act, G-I-N-A, but that's about the only restriction on the use of that data. Since nobody can claim a legal title to the data, there's all sorts of ways that its use could be used in ways that we might not wish. You know, Many of us feel that we should have the right to determine how our own genomic data is used. And without technology, that's really just not the case legally right now. That's why instead of writing another book, I decided actually to create a technology. I'm actually just kind of in shock about a couple of things here. The first one okay. is that I don't own my gene data. Like me, that's my right. own DNA is not my own by law. Yep, that's right. So, you know, the law of property and the law of intellectual property are kind of strange. So I've taught in the field of intellectual property, and it's often very confusing to people that information itself is not ownable. What is ownable is a particular expression of information. So, for instance, the arrangement of words describing a phenomenon would be ownable. You could get a copyright for that. But the phenomenon itself is not, and neither is the information you gather without you know, some unique expression protectable. And especially natural information, like the order of the nucleotides in your body, in all your cells, you didn't have anything to do with 
creating that order. So under the law of intellectual property, you have no claim to it. Under the law of ordinary property, you have claim to what is in your body, right? Nobody can go extracting stuff from you without consent. But anything else that's not a part of your body or on your property is usable by anybody. It's in the public domain. So my body is mine until I get a cut and drop blood on the ground and then it's free for everybody. Pretty much, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out all of that. <laughs> it's, it's such an interesting this is whole, phenomenon. There's a whole course you could, you could talk about the problems of bodies and you know personal information as property. Under our age-old conceptions of property, in order to lay claim to something, you have to be able to exert some sort of control over it. Huh. And once, you know, once your blood leaves your body or, you know, a flake of your skin or whatnot, you don't exert any control over it. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So let's try to try to give this back on 23andMe because I really want to go into the ethics of all of this, but sure. we're not gonna. <laughs> but <laughs> come, we still got a little time. No, I mean, I, man, I would, I would love to, and I think we might have to do a whole other show on that. But I want to sure. go into the business model of these companies that are testing your genetics. What do they? Sure. I, I always assumed, and this was my naivety, is I send them a hundred bucks, they send me a kit, they test it, and boom, the transaction's done. But they have a whole background of different marketplaces that they're doing things with my DNA. Can you tell us about that? Pretty much all their profit comes from the reselling of the data. So each of the tests they sell you, they're selling at a loss, actually, because the Illumina Global Array still is not as cheap as some of the tests they sell. So they're, they're selling at a loss with the idea that they can resell the data, and they have been. So many hundreds of millions of dollars have come to them from their ability to be able to correlate the data they've gathered from their customers and package it together with what we'd call metadata, the you know, health information um, behavioral demographic information that their users submit and then sell that to pharmaceutical companies and other companies who are doing basic research. So my DNA or my genes, I actually, I'm still confused. What should I call it? Should I call it DNA or genes? Well, let's just say your DNA. For okay. <laughs> so my DNA can be sold to South Korea, China, Brazil to do research on it or any company that would want to acquire it. Anyone that wants to buy it from uh, the companies that are gathering it. Yes. If you didn't opt out when you did the direct-to-consumer test, and if you submitted a health profile, which about 80% of people who are doing the tests are doing, then you've given them all that information to resell it however they wish. But even if you opt out, you don't really – does that even matter? Because it's not yours that once it leaves your body. That's true, but it's pretty useless unless they've given you their health data. So the raw genomic data is not terribly useful for anybody to buy. What they want is to correlate that raw genomic data with stuff that we know about you that in most cases people are readily submitting in these online questionnaires for these direct-to-consumer companies. In fact, we, we do the same thing, but we ask if you want to do it and uh, specifically make you the seller of that data. I guess the question is, why would people I, – I guess it makes people uncomfortable. People's data out there make people uncomfortable. You get data from the clicks, your web searches, the cookies in your browser, ads, things you buy from Amazon, all over the place. And now we know that our DNA is being sold on the marketplace and people are knowing about us to – you said first thing is is to genetic data profiling for like ads. And now we're talking about <laughs> – 
Uh, and, and well, no, that's not why these companies are buying it. They're, they're buying it to do basic research on medicines and diseases. And, and that's a really important field. And we want them, we want that to happen, basically. So 23andMe is not you know, selling the data so that you can get targeted with ads. They're selling it for real science. I mean, this is important science that's being done. And it's then who's selling it for ads? Where'd the ad part come in then? No, 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 no. Nobody's selling it for ads yet. But that was used as an analogy of how how data could be sold in ways that are meant to profile us and in ways that we haven't even you know considered yet. But actually, you know, what's going on with Twenty Three and Me's data is that really important basic science is being done. They're learning better about disease models relating to genomics. They're even developing drugs that are better suited to target diseases based upon your individual genetic makeup. And that's really important work. And, and we want to see that happen. Should people be comfortable with this? Well, I, you know, I think the only part that people should be uncomfortable about is that they're not, I think, being paid fairly for their service to science. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to rectify. There, are, there might be people who are uncomfortable with the idea that their data is being sold to others and, and just you know didn't realize that that was the case when they did direct-to-consumer testing. But for the most part, I think people would be comfortable with it, although many are kind of surprised when they find out just how valuable that data is. And that's exactly what EncryptGen is doing with the company that you created. It's a peer-to-peer marketplace to buy and sell genomic data health science products and services. Can you tell- Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Tell us about what you're trying to do and how does this differ from what's available now? Yeah, so we're doing what blockchain does best. We're cutting out the middleman. We're putting people directly in charge of that data, tracking the transaction of that data through our blockchain, and allowing them to get paid directly by whoever wants to buy it to use it in you know their research. 
in a way that we think is more fair. So we're disintermediating, we're really democratizing the marketplace. And you can't create a ownership out of thin air, but blockchains are pretty good at creating a sort of what we'd call a title to the data. So that's what we're doing. We want to see that data out there. We want to see it used in science. We want to encourage people to be in charge of it and understand how it's used. And by giving people a tool for control and, and profit from it, we think that we're treating it in a way that is ethically correct and that uh, puts the individual in charge. Are you also doing the testing? No, we have partners who do testing. So we're not a genomic testing company, but we work closely with a couple of companies. Uh, one is Codigo 46, which is a Mexican company that uh, uses the global array that 23andMe uses and does their own analytics. And, and they've been a very good partner with us. They've been sending kits around the world and people have been getting tested and downloading the raw data and uploading it to our gene chain and uh, filling in profile data. And, and some have already begun selling that data and getting paid in our token DNA. I see the kits here on your on your website. You can buy it for about $99 per kit? Yeah, yeah. And you can buy it using our token, too. So okay. we want that to be the currency for genomics. We have a couple other testing partners that we'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks. There's a U.S. company that's coming on board. Uh, we're excited about them. And there's even a whole genome sequencing company that we're partnered with, Personalized Genomic Health. And uh, their tests are expensive, but if that's what you want to do, you can go with them, too. Well, congratulations on your new partnership. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll announce the name of the new partner shortly. How is it you're going to compete with something like 23andMe? They have the brand. They have it out there already. If you're going to go do t genetic testing, you're going to just go straight there. We understand the value proposition of being in control of your data and selling it. I guess two things. What is the incentive for the individual besides just being in control of their data? Because it is an extra step. You have to have yeah. the tokens. You do have to, you know, find a way to realize the profit from those tokens because you're not spending right. DNA token in, at Walmart or McDonald's. What is the value proposition for the end user? Well, first of all, we're not trying to compete with 23andMe. Actually, the first type of test we integrated with was the 23andMe test. So anybody with their 23andMe data already, and if you've done a test, you have access to the raw data can go to your 23andMe profile on their website, download the raw data, and then simply upload it to us. So we don't want to intend to really compete with them. We're not going to build the kind of market share they've built uh, through testing alone. We want to provide an extra service that allows their customers to profit directly from selling their data. And we think, although it is a, an extra step, it's something that many people who are interested in you know, profiting themselves from the use of the data and being in control of that data are, we think, likely to do. Now, there's 20% of 23andMe users who've never filled in the health profile and never opted in for science to buy that data. We think they would be especially likely to want to be in control of that data themselves and use it on our gene chain. It's really easy for them to upload the data and create a profile. Now, Cryptocurrency is, of course, a mystery to many people, but we're making the profile creation and the wallet usage as easy as possible so that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to figure it out. And we're going to make it easy for them to convert their tokens that they earn selling the data into money they can actually spend. So you said, for example, 23andMe, you can go to, and I haven't used their product or the service, so I, I apologize for some of these questions. You can go and download their data from 23andMe yeah. and then put it onto your token. So basically, all right, so I have two questions from this. Since you can do that, they've already sold your data to people that want to collect it. 
Now you have right. it there. So your data is already out there. I guess first is what is going to be the marketplace for data that's already been sold? And second, is the service that you're providing actually a benefit to protect privacy or is it just to help monetize? Well, we, we think it'll be also helpful for privacy because we have many layers of abstraction so that the data cannot be re-identified. So actually, I'll be posting the release notes for our version one in the next couple of days, and, and you can read a bit about how we protect the privacy. But mostly it is also about ownership. So will there be buyers for previously sold data? Absolutely, because you know that data is already sold many times. For instance, if you're a 23andMe customer who has not opted out, your data has been sold about 200 times already. So it will be still valuable in new types of searches, correlating metadata with uh, genomic data in new ways. Plus, as I said, we're democratizing. So there are researchers out there who might not be able to afford to go to 23andMe and buy data sets. They'll be able to come to our free marketplace, basically. It's a free market for genomic data. And, you know, see if there's something they can afford, see if there's a search that comes up with data that they can afford. And we're asking our users and suggesting to our users that they set price points that are very affordable. So how much can somebody make off their DNA data? Well, that's a really interesting question. We're going to find out what they can make in a free market. What mm -hmm. we know based on forensic analysis of what 23andMe has been doing is that if everybody who had consented to the use of their data had been paid directly by the buyers of that data for 23andMe, they would have earned about 130 bucks altogether. So they would have made their money um, back for their, for their kit, plus 30 bucks. Absolutely, right. Wow. Huh, interesting. So it's in demand. It's valuable. The data is already being sold. We've had people on the show that had data before. You say, control your data. And people said, hey, you know, all your Facebook likes and clicks and whatever, you, you should control that data because Facebook is a billion-dollar company because you're liking and reposting and posting ads to what, what have you. And they said that you should be in control. But their solution is to put something between you and Facebook and still use Facebook. What stops these other companies from just cutting you off and then making that barrier because in my critique of these companies with data, say, control your data on the blockchain, is that these companies that we're using, these mainstream companies, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams, or what have you, they don't care about this middleman. They already have billions of users. So how right. does this marketplace evolve if these other companies aren't involved like Illumina and what have you? Well, first of all, we think that companies like that are going to recognize at some point that they should get involved in putting users in command of their data. And, you know, we're in discussions with some of them about how that might occur using our platform. But we do think that, you know, if you look at the way that markets work, that when you create a, a form for people to be able to disintermediate a relationship, to go directly from a buyer to a seller, you know, on things like Craigslist or eBay, et cetera, what you find is that, you know, there's a demand by a certain segment of the population for that service. Now, about 6 million people have been tested by 23andMe and a few million by Ancestry. So if I can get you know 1% of those people to use our marketplace, I've created a valuable repository of new data for researchers out there and an opportunity for people who want to get paid directly to do so. Mm. And I also think it's going to be a, an educational curve that and people are going to have to learn more about their genomic data and why it's important and what it's used for. And, and I also think that's a, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do. Encryption is a, I, I just want to understand like more about the business practices of encryption. Is it a B2B sort of thing where you're going to maybe kind of like make a data fund or index fund and sell it to a different business? Is it directly P to business 
or is it P2P? Can you sell it to individuals or is everything available? It's wide open. At first, we were going to try to sell licenses um, to the platform. And I don't think that's a very profitable way to go. It's basically the 23andMe model, right? They've sold licenses effectively to various companies recently to GSK, where they get exclusive access to the data. And, I, and that isn't really consistent with the blockchain philosophy either. And we, we felt that you know openness and individual control was more consistent with the nature of the technology and it's the philosophy behind it. So we made it wide open that anybody can go there as a buyer, anyone can go there as a seller and you know see if anybody is interested in your data or see if there's any data that's interesting to you. I want to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> this yeah, is do. the first podcast that gave me the willies. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. No, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's nothing with your company or you. It's with the my DNA and in, in genes being out there, being sold and passed around, and knowing that I don't own it. And I understand what we said that's going to medical research, and a lot of great things are coming from it. Especially, you know, if you can basically take out being susceptible to HIV or, or cancer or test for, you know, different sor for sorts of illnesses. But man, do I get the heebie-jeebies from all of this. How can you calm people down to say, this is a good thing? Well, you know, I think the people who are already involved in genomic testing and getting it recreationally and even allowing their data to be used in science, maybe they don't have the heebie-jeebie gene. Uh, they're not getting... Uh, <laughs> They're they're prone to do this, and they're not worried about it. And they, and they really, I, I think they're they're probably right. I, I mean, I, I I think the data, the possible nefarious uses of the data, are far outweighed by the benefits. Mm -hmm. Things that concern us certainly are that you could be unwittingly profiled in a way that affects your employability or insurability, and those those are things we should be concerned about. And that's why the law has stepped in to protect us in the United States. But you know, the, the only other things that seem to shock people are like, for instance, the use of a public genomic ancestry site in locating the Golden Gate Killer based upon public data that was submitted to the site. Now, that's something that, you I, know, I didn't hear about that. Can you might, can you explain what happened? Sure. There was a cold case, maybe 20 or 30 years old, and uh, they could never find the person. They had a sample of the DNA, but they never found the person who did it. But then they did a search on um, one of these ancestry sites where people post their data with people share, you know, these the data willingly uh, with each other because they're interested in their heritage, etc. And then they tracked uh, down the killer based upon the relationship of his genotype to genotype uh, that was publicly posted by a relative of that person. So that was shocking in a way to many people because what it means is that you can be found by data that's out there that you didn't necessarily even put out there. Wow. So, uh, but again, this, they had this guy's sample because he was a murderer. I mean, it's, you're not going to have your genomic data in some database without you knowing about it unless, you know, you're involved in some crime, really. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is not science fiction. This stuff is going on now, and it's really fascinating. And we, I think as people realize what it means, that they will become more interested in learning about it. It's a fascinating field. You know, I've gone from being a lawyer and a philosopher to now being an amateur genomic expert because of my interest in this field. And you know, as I said, the relation of me to my wife, who's, who's also a scientist in genomics, um, but also because uh, you know this is a really important area of science that's going to solve a lot of health and medical problems in the future. Before I ask you some general questions, 
Is there anything else you want to say about encryption or genetics in general? Well, I think we also need to understand its limitations. So one of the reasons we need more data is because we're not determined by our genes. We aren't made exactly who we are because of our genes. Our genes have a lot to do with our health and how we develop, but we shouldn't think of it as some sort of code to precisely who we are. It's, it's, it's an important part of us. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what your genes mean and what the predispositions that are statistically related to various genes mean. So we need to be realistic about what we know and what we don't know and, and realize that there's a whole lot we don't know. Encryption is going to help solve that by making more of this data available and allowing people to do more basic research with the data in what we think is a much more ethical framework. And it's working now. Actually, people are already uploading the data and people are already buying data on our platform. Right on, man. Right on. Congratulations with that. Thank you. My couple of questions I have that are just general questions. The first one sure. is in the beginning, we didn't touch on you're a lawyer, a philosopher, an author, a professor, and now a CEO and founder of a DNA data collection <laughs> P2P marketplace startup in the blockchain space. You're not an old guy, man. How do you keep going and just accomplish so much? Well, I'm turning 50 next month. so Dude, that, um, that is not even well, close to being old, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, back in the day, it was considered pretty old. So I feel like, you know, this is a good first half of my life. I've been able to accomplish a lot. My proudest achievements are my children and my family. Dr. Gonzalez is my partner, not just in the company, but in raising these amazing kids I have, Alex and Amelia. And you know, I've done it all for them. They motivate me every day to, to accomplish everything we do. And you know, I'm excited about the future of our company and uh, putting these various interests and hobbies of mine to you know, practical use and creating something good for people. I'm sorry to keep harping on what you've done in your life, but if somebody wants to accomplish all these things, what's your advice for them? Discipline? Just do it? Take more naps? Yeah, I don't I know. Think, <laughs> no, I don't nap very well at all. I don't sleep a lot. I read a, a lot. I love books. I surround myself with books. I'm constantly curious about new things. I don't want to get stuck in a rut. I test my limits, and I don't uh, think that there's anything that is beyond my ability to try to learn. So if you want to do a lot, you've got to learn a lot. You've got to study a lot. You have to have the drive to learn new things that outside of your comfort zone and constantly challenge yourself in new and sometimes frightening ways. When we started this business, we started it with our own money, family money that we were saving. But we thought, okay, we'll take a risk. We'll go here and, and try to build this and see what it does. And, and that's what we've been able to do. All I can really say is be curious, be daring, and don't stop moving. What about fear? How do you deal with the fear, the fear of ridicule, the fear of failure, the fear of looking stupid when you try something new? I mean, the blockchain space is a very critical space. How do you yep. overcome that? Oh, I've, I'm, I'm quite used to getting ridiculed. I've been ridiculed all my life, but it never stopped me. It just motivated me to, to prove them wrong. And every time I've been able to. So, you know, that is a difficult lesson to learn. And it's something I'm trying to instill in my children that, you know, you can't let other people's judgments stop you. They're probably wrong. And the best thing you can do to prove that's the case is to succeed in exactly the ways that they said you wouldn't. Hmm. 
And if you fail, you move on to the next thing. I mean, it's, it's, failure is also inevitable. Mm-hmm. So the, use those failures and, and use them as a way to, to learn and improve on what you do. If this was the first podcast somebody that, that was coming into the crypto space was listening to, first, I want to say to them, I'm sorry, this is, this is rather deep. <laughs> but what would you want them to know about blockchain technology, genome testing, and the crypto space in general? Wow. Okay. That's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, so blockchain technology is a fantastic technology that is, I think, overly hyped in many circumstances and has a long way to go until it realizes its full potential. Blockchains are essentially ledgers. They're immutable ledgers that allow us to create and track usually value, but other things as well. And I'm hoping to see some really good applications of blockchains that we haven't even considered you know, in the near future. I think that you know, with our crypto winter that we're in, now the real players who are uh, serious about building good things are going to start to emerge and show us exactly what the technology can do. So that was part of your question. The other part was about genomics. I think that in genomics, uh, you know, we're very much in the infancy of the field. And I think it's a really exciting time to be involved in genomic science. And as we start to gather more data and start to grow better pictures of the correlations of that data to our health and uh, uh, development, we're going to learn some really important things about how to extend our lives, how to make them healthier and happier, and create new medicines that are going to be able to treat people more effectively. And then the crypto field is fraught with danger as a general rule. I've learned that it's full of promises and hype, and we have to be really cautious about what we believe and put on our best fronts to try to be as skeptical as possible and then you know, really dive deep into people's business plans and white papers and try to understand what it is they're trying to build. The, the crypto field, I think, is going to evolve in a way that is going to shake out, as I said, a lot of these people who are in it just for quick money and really start to illustrate the proper and most useful applications of blockchain technology to cryptocurrencies. David, I want to say thank you for coming on Crypto 101. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed I, I, it. Um, to be perfectly honest, I'm still in a little shock. I have no clue about DNA and genome testing and the marketplace and some of these businesses. This is why I love having Crypto 101 as I learn so much. This might be a weird question. What's my next step to learn more about this? I recommend anybody get tested by one of these direct-to-consumer companies because it's fascinating what you can learn. But what about my um, EBGs? Well, again, you don't have to opt in <laughs> for testing. So I did, I did the 23andMe tests but I didn't fill in the health profile. So the data is not useful. Nobody's going to buy it. They keep emailing me, reminding me to do so, but I don't have to, and I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. I upload to the gene chain and filled in my profile there, and I'll see if somebody wants to buy it. But I mean, it's all going to be de-identified. Nobody can trace it back to our various levels of abstraction on our blockchain platform, make sure that you know nobody will know whose data they bought. So you know you don't have to worry about that. And you'll learn something about yourself, really. The the data is fascinating. It revealed for me things, a lot of things I knew based on what I knew about my heritage, but other important things about my health and physiognomy that uh, I think uh, will be more beneficial to me over time. Doctor, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And I also appreciate you coming on Crypto 101 and giving us a great 101 on, well, genes, DNA, and what you're doing in the crypto space. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Last question I have for you is, what is the doctor... Dr. David Copsell listening to on his Spotify playlist. Do you listen to music? 
I do, yeah. Uh, but I have an eclectic taste, so please. Lately, I've been listening a lot to the Hold Steady. I have. Uh, do, are you familiar with the Hold Steady? No, but I will be. Yeah, they're they're a great band out of Brooklyn. Really, I really love them. Okay, so I'll put a couple songs of the Hold Steady on our Spotify playlist for you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. David, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. In our next episode of Crypto 101, we have the CEO and founder of Coolbix, which produces the Cool Wallet S, Mr. Michael O. And he's going to tell us all about his company, the origins of it, and this new hardware wallet that's out on the market. Before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E, Crypto.com for your real-time prices. And Savan, thank you very much for editing this episode. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.